listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. encourage you to take the Word of God, take your Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible, if you didn't bring it today, or maybe you don't have one, please, the ushers are coming forward, raise your hand, they would love to give you uh, a Bible, and if you would like to take it home, you feel free to take it home with you, and encourage you to read it, to study it, and, and, uh, and, and bring it back next week, and, and uh, as we study the Word of God together, and and today you can turn to Luke chapter 17 and then um, have that handy and then a little later we'll look at Luke chapter 5, but the first place we'll look is Luke 17 and, and today we're talking about, we're continuing our series on being anchored and we're talking about being anchored in prayer and uh, oh that we would be people and families and a, a church and, and, and uh, believers across our land that would be anchored to, to, to God through prayer and through seeking his face and, and, and I love that about Harvest. One of the things that, that stuck out when I first discovered Harvest about four years ago this fall, believing firmly in the power of prayer and, and it's like good, that's great. It's one of the four pillars. It's one of the, the key essentials that, that is emphasized here and, and the verse that goes with that and encourage you in your notes today, encourage you to be writing notes, writing down there's going to be five points but then there's going to be some anchor anchor verses. Encourage you to write down a little section there, anchor verses and, and encourage you to be studying and reading those this week. Do you have your pen out? Do you, do you have it in, on your gadget so you can, can write it down? Come on, I want you to be able to be taking notes and be in the Word and, and, and taking these, these anchor passages down and, and get anchored into them this week. And so in, in uh, the verse that goes with our pillar on believing firmly in the power of prayer, it says, praying at all times, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And that unceasing prayer, it, it's so good and it, 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 it's so clear in Scripture. There's other verses that, that call us to be people of prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. Romans 12.12 12 says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And so, so here we, we have these encouragement, these challenges, be in prayer, be people of prayer. And yet, if many of us were to be honest, we would say, I'm just not there. When it comes to prayer, I know I should be and I wish I was, but it's not a growing discipline in my life. It's, it's a struggle. It's hard. It's, when I think of prayer, I, I think of a lot of other things I could be doing. And, and, and when I think of prayer, I wish I would be better at prayer. I, I wish I could pray more. And, and, and I want you to know we, we want to assist you and help you in different resources. One of the best ways to learn how to pray is pray with others. Get together. Wednesday night, as we pray together, as we hear the prayers of people as we're live streaming out east and, and, and praying together in, in groups together, in small groups, will be a great way to learn how to pray and, and to, to, to be together with others in prayer. But there's also some good resources on our info desk on the way out. There's two books that are there that are phenomenal when it comes to prayer. And you can buy one of those books. You can buy it today. You can buy it next week. You can stop by the office and pick one of them up and say, okay, I want to grow in this area. And there, there's great resources available to us today to help us in this. And, and the last thing I want to do today is just heap a whole bunch of guilt on you and say, okay, yeah, I guess we should pray more. And, you know, pastor said we should pray, so I'm going to do this. But you know what? No one, I believe it's a conviction. I've been around this, this long enough in my life. No one is able to develop a strong prayer life through guilt. Guilt can get short-term results but it usually kind of peters out and, and, and it often ends in a lot of frustration and we make some good strives and then like I, I've been there, I tried that, it just didn't work for me and then more frustration and then even more guilt that we can sometimes have when it, well, that we often have when it comes to prayer and to our prayer life. But you know what, you know what fosters a strong and a growing prayer life? is a growing relationship with the Lord, being in the word, being people of worship. As we abide in Christ, we want to talk to him. He changes our hearts and he directs our thoughts and our prayers towards what he wants and, and towards his purposes. And, and, and prayer grows as our relationship with him grows. As, as pillar number one, as we are people of the word, as, as we lift high the name of Jesus in worship and we are in awe of his majesty, of his glory, of his beauty. And, and, and then we're compelled to want to, to, 
to go to him in prayer, to, to believe firmly in it because we're, we're being rooted in the word and our hearts are being transformed as we worship God and focus on his glory and his majesty and the love of his son demonstrated on the cross towards us. And then that gives us a reason to get out there and want to share others because of the transformation and what he's doing in our lives. And we have a burden for others to be experiencing this in their own life. And so we see these, these four pillars working together beautifully to be able to see the lost saved and saved people matured and matured people as we're maturing in Christ, going out and, and sharing Christ with others. And, and we see this happening in a multiplied way. And so today we're going to, to look at Luke chapter 18 as uh, we take a look here at, um, at this passage. I know I said Luke 17 before, but it's going to be Luke 18. I'm going to refer to Luke 17 in a moment. But, but Jesus is speaking here to his disciples. And I want to read a parable to you that Jesus gave to his disciples. This is for followers of Christ. And this is what he is saying, starting in verse 1 of Luke 18. And he said, he told them a parable to, to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Some translations will say, and not give up. So he's telling his disciples, his word to us here today is we are to be people of prayer and we don't give up. We persist in prayer. And he said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. He was kind of his own king, his own boss. He did his own thing. And there was a widow in the city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God or respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming to me. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice to, uh, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He says, we ought always to pray and never give up, never lose heart. And we, so we are to pray with perseverance. We are to be people of prayer. And, and what he's talking about here is an end times prayer life. He's talking about what the conditions in, the, in Luke chapter 17, he's talking about what the conditions of the world will be like in the end times. And so based on what the world is going to be like and what we're going to see and experience, you be, ought to be people who pray and don't give up. But then he asks a very stunning question at the very end of the parable. He says, but will we find this kind of faith? Will we find this kind of perseverance here on the earth? You see, in Luke 17, the previous chapter, Jesus is describing the spiritual and the moral conditions of the earth that it will be what it will be like in the last days before Christ returns for his bride, for the church. And he compares it to the days of Noah that, that you read about in Genesis 6 or in the days of Lot that a little later on in, in Genesis chapter 18 and 19 where evil ran rampant on the face of the earth. And in both situations we see God's destruction and God's judgment fall upon the people. And he says it is a society that, that is filled with corruption. When you read those passages in, in, in Genesis, you see the society was filled with absolute corruption and violence and sexual immorality, including all kinds of unnatural sex, sexual sinfulness. And, and, and this would be running rampant in, in the world. And, and it would be a society, he says, in the end days that calls evil good and good evil. And Jesus is, is basically giving the, also describes what the response of most of the people will be. What is the response of the majority of the people? Are they alarmed when they see these kind of things happening and say, we must do something, we must repent, we must pray. And, and, and the, instead, he says, no. They were just thinking of themselves. They were thinking about the next business deal. They were thinking about the next party. They were thinking about what they were going to plant next year in their garden. They were thinking about their vineyards and their orchards and, and all of these things. And, and, and they didn't even seem to care that all of this craziness and all of this violence and corruption and sinfulness was going on. They were just going about doing their own thing. And folks, I believe God's word here, it, it's a strong call for us to wake up. Because all that Jesus said would happen in the last days. When he gives a description of the last days and we see it throughout the New Testament, even in the Old Testament, what our society, what our world will be like in the end days, we're there. 
It's, it's, it's happening before our eyes. I believe just more and more, like we talked about last week, we are living in the last days. These are serious times. And, and we just not ought to be about our own little selfish, you know what, that unholy trinity, me, myself, and I, and, and my best interests and, 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 and caring for myself and those in my little circle of that. We've got to have a greater vision, a greater understanding of what we are called to as believers in Christ. And, 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 and that means being people who are anchored to, to faith, to actions, and to persistent prayer. All of this is happening. It's here. It's being fulfilled before our eyes. We see it in society. I mean, just in the line of work that my wife Charlotte is in, and, and she describes the level of corruption that, that she deals with and sees just on an ongoing basis from some of the most unsuspecting people in society. And, and, uh, and, and it's just shocking to see the, just the level of corruption that is taking place. And that's just, just, that's just one facet of society. That's in, in the financial areas. You just see it just all across the board. We just see that. An attitude of rebellion and I'll do what I want to do and I'm taking care of myself and, and we just see this over and over again. And so the question is, are we living expectant lives in the last days? Are we preparing ourselves and preparing others and our family for Christ's return? It could be at any time. Are we living out the mission that God has called us as his children to be living out? Or are we living out our own personal mission? Are we concerned about the hundreds of lost people connected to us in our lives. All of us would probably have into the dozens, into probably the hundreds of connections of people that don't know Christ and we can be so aloof about it. And I'll admit that firsthand, even this morning, just as, as we were around um, the theater this morning here and, and, and coming in to, to worship God and, and to preach the word, just my casualness when, when I see the people that are driving around our city and they don't know Christ and they're going to a Christless eternity. Unless they hear the name of Christ. Unless they respond to him in a personal way. And this is a serious call for us. The, the hundreds in our own circles, the thousands in our city, in our region here, in our nation. What a great privilege it's going to be to join at 7 o'clock down east, but 4 o'clock here with others to pray for our nation, to pray for our country, to pray for the gospel, to penetrate our hearts, our lives, our workplace, our nation. What a great opportunity we have for that on Wednesday night, I hope you can make it. Just come late, come whenever you can. It's, it'll be, we'll be there for a number of hours, try to get off work early, do whatever. Come together and let's pray together and take this seriously. Are we just about busy our own agendas and, and are we ready to make adjustments to get on, on God's agenda and, and to follow through with what he calls us to do? And yet at times we might think, but what difference can I make, Melvin? Really, I mean, I'm just one person. We're just one church. We're just one small church in the light of all the churches in our nation and around the world. What hope can I have? And, and sometimes I must admit, it feels like, you know what, trying to make a change, trying to make a difference in society, it's like trying to drain the ocean with a teaspoon. Very difficult, not easy, impossible. How can we make a difference how do we stand against the moral and the spiritual streams that are just flowing like a mighty river, it seems, without getting swept away ourselves in it, swept away in discouragement and being worn out or just, just being swept away, just being deceived by it as well? What chance do my kids, our grandkids, um, it's sobering when you hear the statistics. Just read it even recently that 80% of, of teenagers who leave high school that are brought up in the church, 80% of them leave the church when they go to college, when they, when they get out of high school. Well, many of them, it's still unsure, but it would seem not to return. That they leave the values and the teaching that they've heard, they've been swept away, they get swept away uh, by, by the, the teachings and by the temptations, the philosophies of this world. How do we take a stand? How do we make a difference? We pray. We're people of prayer. We're a church that prays. We get serious about it. Years ago when Charlotte and I were just married and we were living in Saskatoon, there was a place we enjoyed going on a hot summer day uh, when the mosquitoes weren't too bad. It was called Cranberry Flats. It was south of the city and it was part of the river system that flowed through Saskatoon. And you can kind of see a picture here in kind of midsummer when the stream of the river was less, there would be all these little sandbars that you would be able to go to. And in places, the water wasn't very deep and it felt quite warm. And then there was places, you can see on the far side there in that picture, where, where there'd be 
perhaps even a, a stronger stream flowing a little deeper in that, and it would be a place that people would just spread out over the miles and just have your own little, have your own little sand barge kind of beach area, you know. And so we went there one day, I remember, it was great, freshly married, just it was wonderful to go, and we were just on our own in that area. And Charlotte was laying, uh, listening to some music in her Walkman, you know. It was a CD Walkman, though, you know, pretty cool, and, and those big headphones with the big foamies on it. And, and so she was laying there, sun tanning, and I said, I'm going to go for a swim, I'm going to go across to the other side of the river. The part that we had, had, had come to was, was rather shallow, easy, but then I knew the other side was a little more, you know, swift flowing and, and had, had a bit of a good flow to it. But I thought, hey, I'm a strong swimmer and how hard can it be? And so I, she's like, okay, have fun. She puts on her headphones, lays down, sun tanning, life is good. And so I go and I'm swimming across there. I was like, whoa. By the time I made it across, I looked and like, whoa, there she is. Like, I, that carried me downstream, and I didn't even realize I got carried that far downstream. And the other side, there was no place really for me to rest except a tree. Yes, there are trees in Saskatchewan, and I held on to the one. And I held on to that tree for a little bit and kind of rested up and thought, okay, I'm ready to go. I'm going to get back. You know, I'm going to swim back. There was a little tired out, but I thought, I can do this. Not a problem. And so I start swimming back, and I'm tired. And I'm getting weary and, and all, and I'm realizing I'm flowing even more. And where's my, my bride? Where is the, the one I just married just a few months earlier? Listening to probably Michael W. Smith on her, her Walkman. Had no idea that I'm getting swept down. And I remember at one point, I'm like, I don't have much left here. This is going to keep carrying me, and, and I'm getting weary. And, and so I thought, I'm just going to, I'm going to put my head under, and I'm just going to swim for all I have. I'm going to give it my best, and, and I hope that when I come up, I'm going to be able to feel something on the bottom that I'll be on sand. And thankfully, as you can see, I must have made it. But I remember coming up to her, and I was just like, like this, and I'm on my knees. And, and she's like, oh, what happened to you? And I'm like, I almost died, you know? And, and there you were, listening to Michael W. Smith, you know? And, and, and I was so tired, and I was so worn out, and I got caught up in this stream. And to stand for Christ in our society today, to stand for the word of God in the workplace, even in our homes, can be like that. It's a steady stream that is flowing, and we can easily get swept up in it. We just get tired and worn out. And we need these reminders from the Word of God. Just as the man at Edmund's breakfast on Friday morning, Keith was, was encouraging and challenging us from, from, from 1 Peter about being men who, who honor and submit to the authorities that God has placed in our lives. Even when it's hard, even when they make dumb laws, when it's things that we can't even agree with or it's just crazy. I mean, it's just like, that doesn't make sense. We are to obey, we are to pray for, we are to honor those in authority and this is a way that we honor God this is a way that we 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 have a testimony to those people around us that in a world that is just going with the flow and the stream of things we're desiring to stand up on the word of God and on the principles of that and say hey we're going to live our lives differently taking a stand for God and his word will will mean that there will be a price to pay in various ways in the school in the workplace in society and not just out there, even within families, even within the church. When we see a brother or sister who, who calls themselves a believer and, 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 and they're living in areas or, or they're, they're, they're living in some very questionable areas in their lives that seem contrary or that are contrary to the word of God and they're dabbling in that slippery stream where the flow is going to sweep them up if they're not careful and we share our convictions with them based on the word of God and they become hurt or they become offended or they wanna, don't want to talk to us and, and you're intolerant and you're unloving or you just don't understand or you're old-fashioned or you get ridiculed, you get sidelined then they tell others and, and, and you get labeled by others and, and you pay a price, it hurts you pay an emotional price. Mental. They can make you mental at times, some of these kind of things. Or mentally, we pay a price. Physically, even financially. How do we stand strong and not lose heart? Jesus says, pray. He says, pray, 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 and don't give up. And this parable that he tells in Luke 18, he, he shares with an emphasis, this is a parable not of comparison, it's a, it's a parable of contrast. Because he is saying here, he says, he says, look at this unjust judge. This guy had no fear of God, no fear of man, completely self-centered, just in for himself, and yet his heart got moved by the persistence of 
this woman who was needy, who was coming to him for an answer. And I love what it says um, in here. We see her persistent. She's pleading for justice. And finally, she wore him down. And finally, he granted her request. Not because all of a sudden, it, you know, he wiped a tear and, you know, and, and, and he was all of a sudden, oh, you know, it just got me, you know, her story and what's happened to her. He's like, no, she keeps beating me down by her continual coming to me. And in Greek, that statement there where, where it says, uh, in verse 5, it says, uh, where he's talking about she keeps beating me down. It means it's where we get the word or the phrase, she's given me a black eye. She's beating him black, back, black and blue in her request for justice. And finally, he's like, okay, just to get her to stop it, I'll grant her the request. And Jesus says, your, your heavenly father, he's nothing like that judge. He loves you. He's for you. He wants nothing but the best for you. He's loving and compassionate, and, and he will respond. And so we are to come with him with faith-filled prayers. Prayers that, that, you know, are simple. They don't have to be filled with fancy words and, and, and the right language. It's pouring our heart out to Him at any time. It's walking and talking with God anytime, all the time. And what prayer ends up producing in us is we per, persevere, as we continue, as we grow in prayer. What it produces in us is so important. As we pray and as our prayers are based on the Word of God and based in a heart that is desiring to worship Him, we gain a biblical, we start to gain God's perspective on the problem on what we are facing. What God wants, it's, we gain an understanding to His purpose, to, to His timing on things. And it's for His glory. There are so many prayers that I am so thankful that as I prayed them and prayed some of them so, so continually and, 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 and with great persistence and getting other people to I'm so glad God never answered my prayers. There are certain prayers I'm so glad he said no. And I'm like, what? He said, I have something different. I have something better. I can tell you, take me out for a coffee or a steak dinner or whatever you would like, and I will tell you some of those stories. It is. I mean, it just, I mean, and, and at times, it, God's like, no, just, just wait, just hold on, keep praying, keep, keep persevering. I've got something, in it and it's better. It, it's better than what you could imagine. But in that, we understand that his purpose and his glory is what is the most important. Look at this quote, encourage you to write it, write it down. People who persist in prayer don't lose heart. People who lose heart don't persist in prayer. You want to keep a faithful heart in these days, in these difficult days, and in the hard days that you face? Be a person of prayer, of persistent prayer. Don't lose heart. As you get that, we'll leave that up there for a moment or so. And, but also, well, uh, as you finish writing that down, turn to Luke chapter 5, because uh, we're going to look, look and dig into this passage here a little bit um, in Luke 5. Because you see, the Bible seems to indicate, folks, that there is a type of prayer and a type of faith, and a type of action that brings about great answers and great results, not to us, but to another person. Out of the 24 miracles that are recorded in the gospel, seven of them indicate that the person who received the touch from God had no faith or no involvement when it came to prayer, when it came to seeking God. I mean, some of them were sick, they were in bed. Some of them were 25 miles away. Some of them were dead. And they had no faith, they had no involvement in the miracle, but it was the faith and it was the persistence, it was the asking of another person on behalf of that person who was in need. And we're going to look at one of those stories today. In Luke chapter 5, verse 18, I'm going to read, the par read this true story that took place here in the life of Christ. And it says, And behold, some men were bringing, a, bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in... Because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his, with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when, they, and when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you, or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. Now this is a guy who on his own was completely helpless. He had no way of getting to Jesus except for his friends, some friends who cared for him. He was paralyzed. There's no way that that he would be able to get there. And it's my prayer that this story, this reality of what took place in the life of Christ would, would grab hold of our hearts and we would see it come alive as we take this area of prayer in our, in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our, in our region here to a new level of, of faith-filled prayers, believing God for the impossible, believing God for the miracle. And our job, our responsibility is getting people to the feet of Jesus. Getting him, get, getting him, getting her, that teenager, that child, that spouse, whoever it might be, getting them to the feet of Jesus. So then Jesus can do a work in their lives. And see, a life that is anchored in faith-filled prayer is one that is motivated by love. I encourage you to write that down. A life that is anchored in faith-filled prayer, first of all, is motivated by love. There's going to be five things we're going to see here from this passage. These men, these four men must have dearly Deeply, we don't know the relationship to, to him, to the paralyzed man at all, but we know that they must have loved, them, loved this paralyzed man. They cared for him, that they were willing to do whatever it would take. They would not be deterred, not by the crowds, not by the uh, religious leaders, not by the obstacles they were facing. No, they loved him. And it was love that moved and motivated the heart of God. Think about this for a moment. It was love that moved the heart of God to send his son to become the ultimate sacrifice for us. He dug, so to speak, through the roof of this earth, of our society, of our world here, and lowered his son to this earth earth to live among us so that he could die in our place for our sins. 1 John 4, another anchor verse here, 1 John 4, 19 to 21, encourage you to read that this week. It says, we love God because he first loved us. And the end result of that love that we've experienced from God and what he's done for us, and so we love him in return, and the end result of that is that we're going to love others. We're going to be, we'll do whatever it takes to see others come to know the power and the love of God in their lives. The love of God In sending his son to this earth on your behalf, on my behalf, on this world's behalf that that, that he has done this for us is something that as it grows and becomes a greater reality and understanding in our lives that we are, are motivated to want to tell others and bring others to Christ. A life of prayer that gets results, gets serious results is motivated by a love for God. And a then also results in a genuine love for people. Second of all, we see a life anchored in faith-filled prayer is convinced that Jesus is the answer. These men knew that Jesus was this paralyzed man's only hope. They no doubt exhausted all kinds of other, maybe therapies and medicines and herbal remedies and whatever it might be, and they knew that the only thing that would get this guy walking again would be Jesus. And they were convinced of that, and because they were convinced of that, they would do whatever they would do. They knew that if they could just get him to Jesus, he would be changed forever. And I wonder, do we actually believe that in our own lives? Do we believe that where we're sitting even here today? These men knew that Jesus was this man's only hope. Do we believe that, that Jesus is the only hope for our society? Do we believe that? The people who are searching and and looking for hope, looking for satisfaction, looking for for, for, uh, their, their savior, in a sense, if you even want to call it, in possessions or in relationships or in trying to stay young or trying to stay healthy or whatever it might be. I mean, these are all short-term saviors. These are all short-term fixes. They're not going to last. But to have a purpose and they're looking for a purpose and a meaning and it's only Christ who can truly satisfy. And I wonder, do we actually believe this? Do we believe the Bible? We were talking last week about being anchored to the Word of God. Do we believe the Bible. Do we believe what the Word of God says? 
We might say, yes, yes, of course we do, but in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, do we believe the word of God? Here's what it says. It says, salvation is in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If we are truly convinced that there is no other name by which men and women and teenagers and children can be saved by, we got to tell them. we gotta, we got to pray. we got to see people come to know Christ. If we're truly convinced of that, we will speak the truth. We will have a heart of love and compassion for them. In verse 20 and 21, here in this passage in Luke 5, they get him to Jesus. And they did whatever it, it took. And, and, and I just love this. I, I, I just think, and we'll get, get uh, to this in a moment, but, but as they lowered him through that hole in the ceiling, and, and I could see, like, there's no room for them in there. So, so you look up, and you see these four heads of these guys, you know, just kind of, you know, panting, and, and kind of like, Phew, we got him there. And like, there he is. Perfect location. Got him right there at the feet of Jesus. Wonderful. And so they're probably sitting there or laying there as they're watching and like, okay, Jesus, heal him, heal him. And they're sitting there, wait for it, wait for it, wait. But Jesus doesn't heal him. No, he, he doesn't. Jesus says something to him. Jesus is, this almost seems cruel. He, he, he's not healing him. He just says, your sins are forgiven. Jesus, like, heal him. Get him up. Like, I know time is short. There's, there's all these other pressing needs in this. Heal him. And he, Jesus doesn't say that. And then he gets into a discussion with the Pharisees. They're like, uh, Jesus, we got our buddy here. He's laying here on, on, on the stretcher. He's paralyzed. Can you see that? Come on. But what Jesus was doing here, he was dealing with the greater need. The greatest need wasn't that he was paralyzed and he couldn't walk. His greater need is that he needed forgiveness. He had sins and they needed to be forgiven. Jesus was more concerned about his heart, about his spiritual state before that of his desperate physical state. And despite this this distress that this would have caused him to be paralyzed, the greatest need that he had, the greatest need that any of us have outside of Christ is to come to know Christ. Jesus met the greatest need first and forever. He was cleansed. He was forgiven. That's the greatest miracle. It wasn't the empty bed, the empty stretcher. We're going to see that in a moment. But it was a clean heart. This man was completely helpless. He couldn't save himself. He couldn't couldn't have the sins forgiven by anyone else. But Jesus could forgive and cleanse his heart. Jesus can cleanse and forgive and will forgive anything and everything. There is no sin. There is nothing you have done. Whether when you were a child, a teenager, an adult, or even currently what you might be involved in now, there is no sin that God's grace and God's forgiveness is not deeper than. To forgive and to cleanse and we come to Him in humility. We come to Him helpless knowing we cannot grant forgiveness to ourselves. Thirdly, we see a a life anchored in faith-filled prayer persists through obstacles, setbacks, and opposition. They get to where Jesus is at the house here. They're carrying him on this stretcher, and they see the house is packed. And instead of kind of waiting around, there's a sense of urgency. It's like, we got to get him there now. We're not waiting. Yes, there's a door. We could park ourselves somewhere out the door, but there's a big crowd outside, even the door here. And who knows? Maybe, you know, we got to get him there. And there's this urgency. Come on, we got to get him to Jesus. And they're ready to do whatever. It, it's persistent. And so, so they, I don't know if there are stairs or a ladder, somehow they get him up to the, to the floor above where Jesus is. And, and they're looking around, no doubt, at the roof. And like, oh, great, there's no skylight. This is the house that, that doesn't have the skylight model or addition to it, you know. And so I guess we're just going to have to dig a hole ourselves and we're going to have to get in there and start, you know. And so they're ripping apart this, this clay, these tiles that they would have there. There's dust falling, I'm sure. The, owners, uh, the, the, the owner of the household is like, that was my roof. That's my roof. You know how much I paid for that roof? You know, and, and the, look at the dust all around. What's he going to do? How are they going to, you know, and, and all of this. They didn't care. They didn't care the obstacles. They didn't care what was going on. We got to get him to Jesus. We're going to do whatever it takes. Do we have that same kind of attitude in seeing in persistent prayer, 
in faithful action towards the lost people in our lives that need to get to Jesus. We get so easily discouraged and, 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 and turned off from, from continuing. You know, we, we may invite someone for a coffee, invite them to church, invite them to some event or, or some opportunity and it doesn't go well or it just seems we get in a conversation, it seems, seems that it bombed with them where you tried to share your faith and what Christ means to you and it didn't go well. I'm like, okay, fine, I'm not gonna, that was so hard, that's so embarrassing, I'm never doing that again. Or do we persist? And we say, I'm going to keep going. God, I'm going to, even though I've been praying for this for five years, seven years, 10 years, 15 years, I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to pray and I'm going to trust you, God, to work in your time, in your way. And any time that there's an opportunity for me to take some steps of faith and obedience in, in helping the situation, God, may I be ready to do whatever you call me to do. And then fourthly, we see that a life anchored in faith-filled prayer is prepared to pay the price. Someone would have to fix that hole in the roof. And these guys, it would take time, it would take labor, some expense, but it didn't matter. Are we willing to make the sacrifice? First of all, in prayer, are we willing to make the sacrifice for others? It will cost us our time. It could cost us some of our treasure, even our possessions, for the sake of others. Some of our stuff might get wrecked in order to love others, to show them the love of Christ. Charlotte and I, again, had a early in our married life when we, we left Saskatoon then and we went to this little church just outside of Edmonton and, and a community of 2,700 and five, I think it said, the population was on the town when you came in and and. and our first few years there, it was tough going. It was tough, tough, tough. But we were kind of also excited because this was a new job, a new opportunity, and, and we didn't have any kids yet, so that was exciting. We could, you know, check out Edmonton and all of this. And life was good, and, and, and yet, but ministry was hard, and we, and we had this nice house. I told you uh, a few weeks ago, we bought this house, you know, big, big house. Well, 1,000-square-foot house, but $77,000, and we're like, oh! will we ever be able to pay for that? You know, and like, should have bought 10 of them back then. You know, that would have been really smart. And, but we had this house, and so we thought, we want to have people into our house. Well, the first people we had come in, they had some young children, and we are like, oh, I love kids. You know, I've done children's ministry. I love that part, you know. And they had a little boy who was old enough to know better, but he peed on, an, on our chair. And not just a little bit, but a lot. And, and I'm like, whoa, what happened here? And they're like, oh, he does that when he gets excited. And I'm like, what, is he a puppy? You know, like, like really? Like, that's, that's our chair. Like, you know, and, and then the dad says, oh, I'm going to go home and get him some more clothes. Like, why don't you take him with you? But you can't say that, right? And, and, and so that boy went around to every other chair in our house, and he grooved it. Like, I mean, he went and sat with his wet pants on every... And so we're like, I think I'll sit on the floor now, you know? And, and, and I remember afterwards when we left, it's just like, that's our new furniture, and it wasn't leather, you know? And, and it was just like, this is gross, you know? And so we're, we're getting out the disinfectant and all this stuff and, and flipping the couch over, you know, or the cushion over from then on, you know? Like, I'm not sitting on that, you know? Like, it's gross, you know? And next people we had over... Um, they showed up unannounced and, and they were like, oh, we, uh, we just went horseback riding out of town and we came in and thought, hey, we're going to see if you're in. And they're just like, oh, you just went horseback. You don't say. It's, yes, you did go horseback riding. Did. Yeah, can we come on? Oh, yeah, come on in. And, and they, they sit down on, on our nice blue, it was blue, uh, nice blue furniture, and they had, like, they were wet a little bit from I don't know what, and, and they had hair from you know what, and, and, and it was just like, really? You're going to sit there and afterwards again, like, we're airing out the house, and, and we're just thinking, well, this is our house. Like, oh, man, they're wrecking it. And then the next people that we had, like, this is just a bad streak. I should talk to you about my first hospital visits. As a pastor, you don't want to know about those, how that went. Take me out for that coffee or steak, and I'll tell you. But um, anyways, so next group of people, the family we had come over, um, um, she was sitting on the, the couch, and, and uh, it's these couch stories, and, and, and she's bare feet, which is fine, but she was, like, kind of picking at her, her heels while she's, um, as we're talking, and all of a sudden, she leans over to her husband and said, do you have your jackknife? And, and, and I'm like, what's going on? And, and uh, 
And I said, do you need a kitchen knife? Oh, no, that's fine. She said, I was just pulling on some skin, and I just got too much here. And, and, and uh, you know, just wondering if he has a jackknife so I could cut it off. And we're like, oh, you know, just, you know, ready to, you know, just, is there a bag? I can, you know, anyways. Um, and he says, no, here. And so he takes and he grabs it. And, and he pulls it off, and, and, like, and then he's holding this piece of skin, and he's like going to go put it in his pocket. And, and, and she says, uh, no, here, give it to me. I want to chew on it. And we're like, oh! And it's just like, okay, this is three for three. This is not good. And these people were different than us. It was this kind of blue-collar, redneck kind of crew, and we came from this upper-crust kind of middle-class church in Saskatchewan. And, and it was just like, we're not here long. We're not. Like, we're going to put in some time. We're gonna, and, and it was a tough go ministry-wise. There were some difficult things that, that we had inherited from uh, the, the past and, and that, and it was tough and it was hard. But somewhere in there, God started doing a work in our heart. And we knew that if we were going to last in ministry and last there, that we needed to, to build our lives and build our church on a foundation of prayer. And that these people, as strange as they were to us, it would seem, we're going to become our family. It was going to cost. Maybe some wrecked furniture. You know what? God started doing a work. I remember we, we would invite people over to our house at Christmas time, and we'd have up to 100 people in this house, and they were jammed, and, and it didn't matter so much what happened to the carpet. It didn't matter anymore because this was family. This was for the sake of the kingdom, and we saw over the years God do some incredible things, not to our glory, not because we were awesome, not at all, because we had a lot to learn about being willing to pay the price in time, in resources. That little stepping stones church that we thought it would be ended up being we were there 14 years and it was hard to leave after 14 years because we were leaving family. And we got to watch God do amazing things in that church in that community, the schools changed for the glory of God. The word of God was being brought into the schools where in the rest of Alberta it seemed it was being taken out and God's word was coming in. Like It was phenomenal what God was doing when a set group of people got serious about being family, about being connected, being people of prayer and trusting God. We saw some of the most hard-hearted people come to know Christ, those people who you all have on your list. How many of us have those people in our lives that it's just like, that person is so far from God, there is no hope in this world for that person to ever come to Christ. Do you have any of those people in your life? Yes. You pray. You pray with persistence and you move when the Spirit of God moves you to move, to, to love them, to speak to them, to speak the truth to them, to do whatever it takes. As our hearts are being motivated from a love of God, what he has done for us, and we express that love back to him by loving the people around we are convinced that Jesus is the only answer and we persist, persist through obstacles and trials and oppositions and setbacks when we think it's failed and it's gone south. We continue to keep going and we are prepared to pay the price. We're prepared to pay the price no matter what because God paid the ultimate price in giving his son who paid the ultimate price in giving of his life on the cross. Are we in? Are we desiring to live an end times prayer life, a faith-filled prayer life? As we come up to the second anniversary of our church, I am so humbled and so grateful for the do-whatever-it-takes mentality of the people here that we've been able to witness here at Harvest. The commitment to pray, to give, to serve. I, again, take me out for that coffee or that steak and I'll tell you stories of just people who, who are just willing to do whatever it takes to, to bring us to this point where we're at even here today. And that are continuing to serve the Lord in, in various capacities with that. Whatever it takes, I'll do. Hey, I'm here. I'm here to do whatever. Now is not the time to coast. Not now that, that we kind of got some good systems and we've got some good people in different people in, in place. It's not time to sit back on those easy chairs. Don't get too comfortable. Our seats are comfortable. The message is not because the word of God is calling us to, 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 to live this, to get out there and to, to live a life of prayer, a life that is filled with action that is based just solidly on the word of God. To persevere, to engage with people, to re-engage with some people who, who have been very hard or difficult in our lives. To forgive them, to love them, to speak the truth. 
And the pull is always going to be to go with that, that, that river of society, that stream that is flowing, and just kind of just jump in the stream and just let it carry us away. No, let's stand firm together. We stand firm together. How? In prayer. You think about it, uh, just before Easter, as a church, we, we took this board, and it's a rather simple board. There's not a lot of beauty to it in, in, in how it looks even now. But before our Easter service, we had a prayer night, as we have a, a church-wide prayer night every, every uh, month. We have one on Wednesday. And we took and we wrote down names of people in this region, people in our lives, family, friends, coworkers, classmates, whoever it might be, who are lost and don't know Christ. And there's between three or 400 names on here. Now, it's not just something to write on a name and say, okay, good, I'm done. No, we pray. We pray for God to do a work in the lives of these hundreds of people that are listed here. You think about it. These three, 400 people, they come to know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior? What kind of a change and a difference that would make here in this community, in this region, in our nation, as God gets hold of people? There are people here who have connections to, to business leaders in our region here, to, to government officials. Instead of just criticizing and, and, and being upset with them, we pray for them. Who's praying for the, the Christians that are around Justin Trudeau to be praying for him to come to know Christ? If God could save a person like Saul of Tarsus, he can save anyone in this world. But the persistence, prayer, and action of God's people. And what ends up happening here, a life that is anchored in faith-filled prayer, number five, lastly, gives all the glory to God. Look at what he says here. This is after he has forgiven him. He has brought this cleansing to this leper. And he says, I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed and go home. And his four buddies are watching him like, yes, yes. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had, lying, what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying his friends. Is that right? Glorifying his friends? Glorifying who? God. Yeah. Giving the glory to God. He's on his feet. He's praising God. He sees the crowd. He's praising God. His friends, his family, what happened to you? He's praising God. The Pharisees see this. They're annoyed, and he's praising God. He walks to the glory of God. He picks up his stretcher or his bed to the glory of God. He speaks. He testifies to the glorified, to glorify God. Not look at me, not look at my friends, but look at Jesus. This is something that my Jesus has done. And not only had he been freed from his bed, from this paralyzed state that he had been on, a greater work had taken place. The greatest miracle of all, his heart had been cleansed. And this truth I mean, just dig into this this week as you read it. You're going to find more truths and more just, just challenges for us to chew on in this passage. But what this miracle also teaches us that hardly anyone, in fact, I don't know of anyone that is ever saved, that ever comes to faith in Jesus Christ unless someone else is involved through their prayers, through their words, through their actions. History is full of examples of people time and time again who get up in the middle of the night and they pray and they pray for that lost one. They pray for the prodigal. They pray for that missionary. And then it's days later or a, week, week late, a few weeks later or something, they find out that that very time that they were praying that that person experienced a touch from God or they were in a crisis and they needed that person to pray. And we hear that over and over again. And who is it that you've given up on? Who is it that needs your prayers in the middle of the night? Who's that person that God brings to mind and you pray for them and then you look for ways to reach out to them? Nothing is too hard for our God. I think of the faithful Sunday school teachers, those that worked in nurseries, that changed my diapers, that, that taught me the Bible in church. I think of youth leaders and youth pastors that at times I gave some fits to. And, and, and I think of all the various people. I think of my grandparents and their faithful prayers for us. It was a, about a year or so before my grandmother died at the age of 103. She, uh, and we went to the nursing home in Regina to see her and have the Lord's Supper with her. And, and, and I remember, I'll never forget when she ended up saying to me one day, she says, oh, Meldon, still just can't believe that you're a pastor. And I said, what, what do you mean, Graham? And she says, well, 
when you were young, you were just so full of fun. You know, and she says, but Daddy and I, we prayed. We prayed, and I said, I know, Grandma, and keep praying because I need it. And we pray, and we, have, we pray for and with one another. People across Canada, this church is here today because people across this nation were praying for Harvest Kelowna. And we get to join with about a thousand of them that are very interested and continue to keep praying for Harvest Bible Chapel Kelowna. And we get to pray with them on Wednesday. What a great opportunity. I encourage you to come and be a part of that. Do whatever it takes. Get off work early. Tell the boss, I'm going to pray. And the boss says, well, well, who are you going to pray for? I'm going to pray for you. You know, and, and, and please get out of here, you know, and make sure, make sure you shout out a few good ones for me. They might say, no, you know, and say, yeah, I will. And he doesn't know you're praying for the salvation of his soul, or maybe your boss does know that. But come whenever you can. If you can't get off work early or you scoot to get there, get, get at 5, 5.30. It's going to go till about 6 o'clock, and then we're going to enjoy some food together. But encourage you to come and be a part of that. Folks, we need to remember that all revivals in history of the Christian church that have shook towns and cities and countries all began with people saying, we can't take what is happening anymore. We've got to ask God for something fresh. We've got to ask God to do something. And may we rip off some roofs this week and in the weeks ahead, individually as a church, to do whatever it takes as we pray, as we pray with bold faith first and foremost, and then we take action to see lost people saved, to see saved people matured, and to go out and, and to see them win people to Christ as we continue on that journey. I'm going to ask the band to come up at this time, and what we're going to do is, is we want to pray. We want to spend some time praying as we worship. We're going to worship and we're going to pray. And this prayer is, is a familiar song, you know. We're just going to change the, uh, the, the lyrics a little bit. It will be on your screen. But as you are singing this and encourage you to, you can't see the names here, but, but God knows who those names are. Be praying for those people there. Be praying for the lost people that maybe you've written the names of people on there and it's just like, I need to re-engage with them this week. But it needs to start with prayer. And start praying for them. After the service, there's markers there. If you have some names to add, to that prayer thing. I mean, it's not just the miracle of having them on this prayer board. This is a reminder to us, these people are lost. They need Christ. And feel free even as we worship, if you want to come write the, your name, the names up there or else you can do it afterwards. We want to take some time and, and, and just even pray this to God. Oh, Lord, they need you. Oh, how they need you. So, so, so pay attention to the lyrics as, as we sing them and then we're going to turn it back on us and say, oh, how we need that fresh touch in our own lives as well. Let's stand together and worship.